Welcome back to Path to Glory, the Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. For the first time ever, I'm your host, George, also known as Kairos, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mark, also known as Baconborn. How are you doing today, Mark? Hello, I'm doing, I'm doing great. To echo Zach, I'm feeling uh, pestilent today. So for everyone listening, first thing to point out that we are a man down, maybe a couple of men down. So we're going to muddle on best as we can with just the two of us to bring you some content today about Skabik and his plague pack. Yeah, don't worry. Amon and Zach will return. We're just filling in for the weekend, as it were. Well, it helps that we are the Skaven enthusiasts. Yes, I think that we definitely have more passion for Skaven as a whole than those two do. So it's maybe fitting that we're the ones that get to cover the rats today. They're just the greatest. All right, so we can just dive into it. I really love that all these decks have been coming with a nice little lore card summing up what the Warband's trying to do. I'm going to read that off for you. The diseased Skaven of Skabix Plague Pack planned to usher in the birth of one of the Ratmen's great plagues, fanatical worshippers of disease from the clan's pestilence. Their foulsome quest has taken them deep into the heart of Weird Hollow, where they believe one of the ingredients of that great plague can be found. Should this noisome flock succeed in their task, great swaths of the mortal realms may be reduced to rancid, rotting mulch. Let their enemies beware. A sickening death awaits any who stand in the path of the children of the Great Corrupter. Yeah, wonderful. Just excellent. Like, when they showed the Word Hollow previews and they were showing all the art and stuff, everybody was like, oh, that Chaos Warband, it's gotta be, gotta be Nurgle, right? Like, it's gotta be something gross and, you know, plague-ridden. And they definitely delivered with the rats here. Yeah, they did not disappoint. I have been waiting for more Skaven and for more Plague stuff for a long time, and here we are. Very excited. Do you want to read that plot card? Yeah. So jumping in, of course, the, the Warband does have a plot card. So it's actually three out of four Warbands in the Weird Hollow that have a plot card. And honestly, they almost could have made a plot card for Domatan if they really wanted to. But uh, kind of interesting that they're using the plot cards now to open up the inspiration design space. Anyway, Scabix plot card. When using Scabix Blade Pack, Show this card to your opponent in the Reveal Your Warband step, and use these rules in the game. At the end of an action phase, a player's and or no one's territory are corrupted by your warband if one or more of the following are true. Two or more friendly fighters are in that territory. One or more friendly befowlers are on an objective in that territory. When a territory becomes corrupted, it remains corrupted until the end of the next action phase, even if this is the result of a power card. Territory can be corrupted by multiple warbands at the same time. And that's pretty cool and thematic. It's a lot of text for a couple of keywords, <laughs> but we'll see what those mean as we get through their cards. Yeah. So first we'll start off with the fighters, and of course the big man himself, Skabic Plague Seeker. He's your leader. He has the keywords priest and befowler. He's got a move characteristic of four, a defense characteristic of one dodge, a wounds character characteristic of four and an attack action with range of two two dice looking for hammers two damage and grievous one the befowler keyword also gives a rule at the start of each round stagger each enemy fighter adjacent to this fighter and his in his inspiration condition which is shared by the whole warband two or more territories are corrupted by your warband when he inspires he changes from one dodge to one block and his attack action goes from two hammers to three swords 
Yeah, I think I, on his uninspired side, I mean, I kind of covered this in the article as well. So, of course, go and check that out if you haven't already. But looking on his uninspired side, like starting on one dodge is rough. I mean, Scritch does as well, right? But Scritch is far easier to inspire. Like Scabic, you're usually waiting till the end of the first round, I would say. They've got a couple of tricks to corrupt things early, but you're usually waiting until the end of the first round to get your inspiration. So sitting this fragile to starch is a little bit rough, although it's not like he gains a whole lot when he inspires in terms of just going to one shield instead of the typical Skaven two dodge. I don't know. I'm His stats are fine, like their leader stats. And I guess the Warband certainly doesn't result, revolve around him as much as like Spike Claw, Spike Claw Swarm does around Scritch. But I do feel like he's a, a tad underwhelming as far as leader stats go. Yeah, I have to agree. I would have really liked to dodge. I mean, we can harp on it all day, and we will on every single fighter card that we'd like better defense characteristic <laughs> for Skaven. But I would really have liked to see him go to base 3 damage. Mm. Or if he's not going to base 3, I would have really liked to see him go to 3 hammers rather than 3 swords. I'm not a huge fan of jumping from two hammers to three swords. I know that it's a minor statistical accuracy upgrade, but it just feels bad because I will whiff my two hammer attacks rolling swords, and then I'll whiff my three sword attacks rolling hammers. And it, it, it's just a bad feeling when, man, if I was not inspired, this attack would have hit and vice versa. So, yeah, they probably figure the extra die is enough because it's helping you grievous fish. But, I mean, in that case, I would have just kept him at two hammers and bumped him to flat three damage that instead of nice. this. Yeah. I mean, he's not bad by any means. And there's certainly, like, they've baked in maybe some of the power card support they have to make sure he didn't get insane, as we'll get into later. But, yeah, he's definitely slightly underwhelming for, for what we've seen of Skaven leaders in the past. And I think it's probably also something we should talk about is the Warband as a whole bar scritter is locked at move four, which is new for Skaven. Usually they're much faster. Now these ones are all kinds of messed up from their plague and carrying all this stuff around, so maybe it makes sense that they're a little bit slower. I'm curious, do you think maybe they did this for just balancing reasons with how corruption works? Yeah, I think that's the main the main reason you would have them slower is because if they could move five all across the board, that would really open up. It's hard to keep tokens out of range of a five move fighter right and as we've seen in the past you can really grab what you want to grab when your leader's moving five when everyone's moving five if if these guys could move five with all the movement tech that they have in their faction not to mention you know accessible right now i think it would be even harder to stop them corrupting stuff because it's not particularly difficult to to inspire them at the end of the first round but it would be some of their objectives would be a lot easier with five move and i think in general they've seen just the power of of that kind of mobility when you have access to strong offensive stats in season one scritch was you know the guy who could take victorious duel because wherever your leader hides he will find him at or but and they do have a lot of range too so they're still rocking a six hex threat range it's just where their body can get that's not as easy and even scritch only has one fighter with a two range attack and yeah. Skittershank, everyone is uh, with real damage is on a range one attack, although they do have those range three. But here we have the, you know, kind of two very chunky, as we're about to see, or range two attacks that I think getting those up to seven hex threat range would also have been just a bit rude. Even a, 
a six hex threat range is rude, as Spawnmaw keeps demonstrating to everybody. But we don't have to talk about that <laughs> today. Today is glorious green rot things. Yes, yes. Yeah, I think they've done a decent job balancing off the offensive stats here. I'm just a little concerned more about the, the fragility. But we can certainly pop on to our next fighter here. Has got to be one of the best names in Underworlds. We've got a minion and a befowler again. So same keyword as Scabic had. He has the same rule for staggering fighters at the start of the round. He also boasts four move, one dodge, this time three wounds instead of four. His plague sensor attack is range two, two swords, three damage. And his flailing plague sensor is one range, two swords, two damage with scything. Upon inspiration, again, same inspire condition for the whole warband. His physical profile does not change. His plague sensor goes from two swords to two hammers. So pretty notable accuracy upgrade there. And the flailing plague sensor gains an extra die to go to three swords. Also a pretty notable accuracy upgrade. What do you think of Rubidius? He's going to be my favorite fighter in most games. He's, he hits hard. He gets the accuracy on his... He has a scything attack. Let's, let me address that real quick because baseline scything attacks are not extremely common. So it's very nice to have that. And we've seen with Nelspirit Pack that it can get out of hand very quickly if you have accuracy and mobility on that scything attack. Now, he won't be moving five or rolling four swords with this attack without upgrade. But three swords, two damage scything is very, very respectable. And I think this is the sort of thing that really cements the more aggro identity of this warband than the previous Skaven bands. I know that we've seen aggro with Scritch and we've seen aggro with Skittershank, but Scritch was very much minion torpedo aggro. And Skittershank, as much as you might go for the full aggro, they're centered on hunting down that leader <laughs> right that's that's what their objectives do that's what their inspiration is so they're really good at killing that one specific fighter and they can struggle if they've got to try to murder a whole lot of fighters and rabidius is here to say i will murder everyone and that's nice that's what you want to see a really angry rat with a big flail who can hit everyone around him yeah the horde control is really nice obviously the accuracy on his uninspired side is you know, low. And again, they, they do have things in the warband to help make up for that. So I think this is maybe just kind of not future proofing, but more just power creep proofing him by keeping him on the low accuracy to start. Now they didn't obviously do that with guys like Sarpon who can run up and throw three hammers for three damage, no problem. But in this case, you've only got the you've got six fighters instead of three. So they've kind of made sure he's a little bit toned down. I do think he's pretty big piece of the warband's damage output like we basically already covered the two fighters capable of dealing the most single target damage in the warband by a decent margin i do think there is some risk that once people start to figure out this matchup a little bit if they have a guy like a, a you know molog or a kanan or whatever they're just going to try and splat one of these guys off rip because they are on one dodge. So even those two hammers, three damage type of attacks, they're rolling 60%-ish odds on that attack, right? Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I am concerned that these guys are just going to get blown up before you can access the part where they really get scary. Especially in Rubidius's case, he doesn't get super scary. Like, he's basically Gristlewell scary. Like, Gristlewell is not scary statistically on his uninspired side. Just like, in theory, he could be a problem. Rabidius is kind of that same way. If you can get to him before he's inspired, there's not a whole lot that I think the 
rap player is going to be able to do about it outside of just keeping him tucked way back. But then you run into the issue that like Hex Baines runs into when they put Amos too out of position and all of a sudden he just like doesn't do anything. So it'll be an interesting balance to see like where you're deploying Rabidius so that he's relevant for the long term, but also not just getting blown up. Yeah. At round one. Now that is a, a struggle to balance, but I, I do think that at least unlike Amos, he's got he's got a bit more threat range because he's one hex faster and he has that range on his uh, you know attack. The accuracy is an issue, and you can tell that they kind of are intending you to take supported attacks with him or or wait until he's inspired to really slow down some of the initial power they might have. I have found that they can kind of work better if you take a little bit of a slower round one and get that inspiration and then try to to run people over. I can't play them the same way I play Grashrak, although I do feel a great deal of similarity in their overall game plan with Grashrak. I think that they Grashrak very much has to hit the ground running, start the snowball, and keep, and keep that snowball rolling as long as he can. Because as soon mm-hmm. as he loses his ritual counter, it's a bad time. I think that the inspiration on the Skaven gives them access to enough stats and you know their objectives are just set up a little bit differently that they have a more more ability to take a slow early round and then just keep gaining steam from the mid game to the late game without being as heavily reliant on like the pure carnage game plan in championship although they can definitely do that pure carnage plan yeah but uh, moving into the next fighter who Interesting guy. I love the sculpt. The overall design wasn't what I expected, and I'm still not sure how I feel, but I like the name. Then they, they really, really hit the nail on the head with these names. So this is Itchit. He's a minion, a befowler, move characteristic of four, defense characteristic of one, dodge, wounds characteristic of three. His attack is range one, two swords, one damage. And he has the same inspiration condition as the rest of the warband. He does have an ability that's pretty unique and has a difficult-to-quantify value. It's called the Book of Woe, and it's an action. Roll one magic dice for each enemy fighter in the same territory as this fighter. On a roll of swirl, deal one damage to that fighter. When he inspires, his admittedly lackluster attack changes to two damage, and his Book of Woe upgrades to deal its damage on a roll of channel instead of swirl. I have a really hard time evaluating this fighter. I I want to say he's useless, and then I think of times he'll be great, and it's I, I'm going to settle somewhere in the middle. But what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, on his like actual attack profile, he's really a backup plan, right? Like, if Skavik's gone, if Rubidius is gone, and you have all these plus dice, plus damage effects, the, the physical profile is really just there so that you can actually buff those up and use him as like, oh man, my, my main damage dealing pieces are dead. The Book of Woe is what like his his niche in the warband would be. I'm kind of out on Book of Woe. Like looking at let's say round one, you manage to get Itch It into enemy territory on not a charge, and you're able to actually execute a Book of Woe in your opponent's territory. Unless you're playing against like get it's not a lot of damage you can expect on on swirlies. Like if there's six targets, you're hitting two on average. Yeah. Now, yes, there's the, the spike potential of like, wow, I just rolled really hot and I hit all six guys and that's insane. But it, just the lack of reliability is going to make me not want to use it in the first place because like, man, what if I only hit the two that I really don't care to hit right now or like the ping damage on, let's say, I 
jump into the territory on thorns and I really want to be paying like Varklav, Everhanged, Queen, but I only hit two chain rasps with the ping. That's not a lot of value to me because access to two damage is pretty widespread even in this warband. I've kind of wasted an action there. So just that kind of hesitancy is going to hold me up from even using it in the first place. Now when he's inspired, maybe, but then you're getting to a point of the game where there's less targets available. If we think they're going to be inspired at the end of the first round, how many fighters is your opponent going to have left? Are they all still going to be in a single territory? I don't think he's going to have enough targets available for me to ever be sitting there and thinking that the value of that whole activation is worth the expected return on a 50% or 33% to ping X number of targets. Yeah, definitely, definitely correct to say all that. I, I admit I never see myself using an uninspired Book of Woe action. And and you're right that by the time he's inspired, you're you're likely to get the you know less value off. I do feel like there could be times where you get later in the game and lots of folks are wounded and you're having the charge rule in effect and you're there like I can make one charge and then maybe get to keep swinging if they don't have pushes, or I can just sit here because they're already charged and I'm gonna you know do my action three times this round because he's the last one I've got left or, or the last two I've got left and you know three dice on each of the like let's say they have two fighters left and i can ping one of them because i just need to hit them once and i'll do it i don't know i i feel like there's a huge case for it it's niche but it's there but it's definitely not in practice as exciting as the like theory head case of oh my god i just pinged their whole warband like it's uh, that's not going to happen yeah so i am leaning more and more towards he's the fighter i dongle just because he's three wound and uh, hopefully he's not getting one shot early you know, in most uh, some warbands at least may struggle to do three in one hit early, so they have to devote resources. And as far as attack actions go, I I do feel like he's the most, he's the worst backup. Once we're yes. coming down to an inspired warband, the the only fighter I'd rather him as an attacker over is Skritter. Even the, the the two little ones we're getting into, once they're inspired, I think their attacks are substantially more respectable uh, than his, especially once we start putting upgrades on them. So. Yeah, that's. I, I have to keep playtesting them. I've only had a couple games to feel them out, but I'm very excited to do more. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I, I mean, you call out something important there about dongling him. You got six fighters, right? So, like, somebody's probably two guys have just got to eat it and be on the front line. So, while like each of them can do interesting, cool things, especially if you wait for them to inspire, the reality is there's no way for you to game plan that every single one of them are going to be have access to that cool thing. So for the Warband as a whole, if you want to play these guys, I think it's important that you're willing to and able to adapt on the fly. Like, oh, that Kanan just blew up Rabidius in the first round. I was planning to use him a lot later in the game to side Mortex, which in one case, maybe you would want to be a little more careful with Rabidius in that particular matchup. But in general, being able to adjust and say, well, Rabidius is gone, but now Skabic is alive, or... Rubidius is gone, but now I've got inspired Poxlix or something. And things like that will be interesting trade-offs for the Warband as a whole. Definitely. Speaking of Poxlix, we have him next. Poxlix is just a minion, so no Fowler keyword for him. Four move, one dodge, two wounds. His fetid blades attack has one range, three swords, one damage with Grievous one on his inspired side. Goes to one shield instead of one dodge. It actually gains a wound going from two to three. And his Fetid Blades react action, attack action 
gets an extra die. So he's one range, four swords, one damage with Grievous. What do you think of Poslix? I like him. I really do. I will also confess that my first game playing with with this warband was on Vassal, and I didn't remember that he got the uh, the extra wound. So that's fun. And I was there like, yeah, my inspired guy got one shot by a two damage attack. All right. I still won, which, you know, I guess that's just I'm used to playing Grashrak. Of course, my guy has two wounds. Why would he get better? But <laughs> I like him a lot. I like, first off, I will say that as much as I hate the unreliability of gating base damage with Grievous, I don't mind it as much when we're talking three or four dice. Four dice is where, admittedly, you will whiff and you will not crit when you're sitting there like, oh my god, if I had a crit, this would work. But it's enough that I can respect it. And I think the fact that he's four swords off the jump with Grievous 1, this warband can take Dark Parasites and not even bother with, say, Cursed Boarding Pike or Axe, just because this is the kind of like dongle you'll be throwing Dark Parasites on. So that's nice. And I, I think Inspired Four Swords, I care more about accuracy than base damage on my backup fighters, just because I will have Great Strength, or Glory Seek, or another card from the faction that we'll get to in a little bit. Or, you know, something else. There's so many ways to put damage on a range one attack. There's not that many ways to put dice. So being four swords already, I'm very happy with that. I like that the warband so far, besides Itch, it doesn't really need those attack action upgrades. And I do love that he gets the wound, especially because I played without it. But once he's a three wound fighter, and, and this is what I mean about dangling with Itch, it, he's better than Itch it in just about every way. I mean, I would, I would rather roll four swords one Grievous than two swords for two. Just because four swords will actually hit. Yep. Hopefully. Yeah, spot on. He feels like a better, like an evolved version of the Festering Skaven, right? Like Festering Skaven's got that upgrade for the plus two damage when he crits, but he's yeah. just base two swords, one damage, inspires to three swords, one damage. This feels like a little punchier version of him that can actually be kind of relevant without a, an attack action upgrade, like you said. And the extra wound is quite meaningful. Like, there's so many fighters that have access to base 2 damage. Not nearly as many with base 3. Now, ping, st state of ping definitely is, is problematic in that respect. But it's rare that you see models gain wounds when they inspire. That's a pretty significant defensive buff for a guy from 2 wounds, 1 dodge, to jump to 3 wounds, 1 shield. Yeah, hold yeah, on. I, I like him a bit. <laughs> yeah. All right, moving into the next one, which might be might just be my favorite name in the whole warband. I am an Always Sunny in Philadelphia fan, so I can't help but hear a certain character's name. This is Ricket. You can call him Cricket if you want. <laughs> He's a minion. Four move, one dodge, two wounds. And his attack action is range two, two swords, one damage with Grievous one. When he inspires, he changes to one block. He gains a wound to three wounds. And his attack just changes to two damage. Two swords, two damage, no more Grievous. He gets that crit baked in, but only for damage. How do you feel? I definitely like Poxlix better as just a, a piece, right? Like, yes, you've got a little bit more range on Ricket, but that's now baked into his pretty woeful accuracy. This is the kind of fighter I'd be like, eh, I'd rather just throw Boarding Pike on him and, and let him let him go for it. Like, make it worth bringing Boarding Pike to be able to back up plan into him and other fighters in terms of accuracy. I do think that he's certainly fine. And again, the physical profile improvement when he inspires is significant. 
But if we're again talking about like maybe you have to dongle two pieces, I'm leaning towards it being Ricket and Itchit being on the front lines. Yeah, and I I feel the same way. Although I do I do see the potential once we're stacking upgrades on Ricket for him to be kind of a backup mini Rabidius, right? Like we do have a faction plus one dice that we'll get to, and and so once he's rolling, say three swords, or if we're talking championship, and you can take that card from Paths of Prophecy four swords. Range two, you know, two damage, and you stack some stuff. He can, he can get work done, but it's not your choice. It's not even your first choice. It's your third choice. Yeah, but that's fine. For you know, the warband's got to have some chaff, and some people are going to die, and yep. that is a sacrifice I am willing to make. I'm just glad he's got something that you can have a game plan with. He's also got some fantastic flavor text. I always love the like little Skaven rivalries they impart into the flavor text. Like they did the same with Crouched and uh, Skulk, and they've done it here with Ricket and Rabidius. Basically, he just ratted out Rabidius about something to scab, and Rabidius got assigned the responsibility of bearing the plague sensor. Which, like, if all these plague worshipping rats are like, oh, even I don't want to touch that thing. Well, it <laughs> deals three damage. That's <laughs> pretty pretty great yeah skaven theme is is half of why i really like okay it's more than half <laughs> i also have liked the mechanics of every single skaven warband and they're they're rat dudes what's not to like yeah not to derail the conversation too much but before i even started playing underworlds my brother who got me into the game just sent me like a list of all the warbands that were currently in the game just the fighter cards and he was like which ones do you do you like i said well this spike claws swarm are a bunch of rat men. That's pretty cool. And he was like, pick another one. They're way too expensive. Because <laughs> at, at this time, it was like beginning of Direchasm. Oh, yeah. Very difficult to find them. But yeah, this game and aesthetics, always great. Definitely. And now the last fighter. Yeah, back on track here with Skritter, Underworld's new bestest boy. Skritter is a minion, a befowler, and a beast. He is the only fighter in the warband with a move characteristic of five. One dodge, one wound. His infected bite is range one, two swords, one damage, and he is worthless. This fighter would be taken out of action, remove it from the battlefield, and clear all counters and persisting effects from this fighter. It is not taken out of action. So much like what we saw with Spinefin previously. When inspired, he goes to two dodge over one. His infected bite does not change. Nothing else about him changes. Just goes to two dodge. What do you think of Skritter? I love the warband, and I don't want to bash GW because they gave me something I wanted, but I feel like Skritter was just a missed opportunity. I would love if there was a way for him to come back, or if he popped up on his own like Spinefin. Like we mentioned Spinefin, and maybe that would be too much because the point of him is to make a move action and help with things, but I, I would have liked it so much if even there was just an upgrade for Skabic that would just say, like, yep, Skritter comes back because I can always, you know, warp stone up another rat and just call them Skritter. You know, kind of like if for any lore fans out there, Thankwall and Bone Ripper, there's been like 12 Bone Rippers. Every time one dies, he just gets another one and names it Bone Ripper. It's, he should be two dodge, uninspired. Like, like for him to serve his purpose of, well, you want to hit me, but you, it's not worth it to hit me. Like he, he needs to be a little bit tricky to hit. Uh, you know, if you just dongle him, people will know what he can do as a befowler and just say, well, I won't get glory, but I'll just get this out of the way now. And there's no 
disincentive besides the you know opportunity cost of the glory you know so it's it's not it doesn't work as well as hexbane's dogs which i think is the most apt comparison the first dog from hexbane you don't get anything for hitting it right unless you are happy to have successful attacks or something but when you do hit it you inspire the other dog and you inspire pock and if if pock is inspiring before his first attack you've just given them a ton of value and now the other dog is to dodge when you want to try to get it. Since there's no other Scritter, I, I, I would really like for him to have been to dodge or ignore pings or something. But I will still use him, and I, I think he still can get some work done as a Befowler, as a fighter with five move. I don't know. What do you think? Nah, I think you, you've nailed it. To dodge off the rip, I don't know if it was 100% necessary if you did include some kind of immunity to non-attack damage. like. This fighter cannot be dealt damage by gambits or lethal hexes. Something like that might have been enough to cover him. So you couldn't just blow him up as an afterthought and a power step. Like, oh, he's standing next to a lethal, no safe ground. Or I drop one of my 17 pings that I have in the deck and he just gets deleted in the power step. He definitely doesn't quite work as a distraction piece the way you would want him to. If we're looking at championship, one maybe interesting thing to try would be like ephemeral fortitude because I would never bother to swing into a four-wound rat that's not going to give me glory, I think. Because if I have a fighter that's capable of doing four damage in one attack, I'll probably direct it elsewhere to kill something that will give me glory. So Definitely. that's maybe one niche angle you could take on him. But just the ability to say, like, oh, I ping him, he's gone, he doesn't come back. Yeah, it, it needed, needed some kind of resurrection mechanic, more disincentive on the attack than just one dodge and or ping resistance. some Something in that mix I think I would have liked to see for him. But he is a fantastic sculpt. I just love, love Scritter. Oh, yes. I'm very much looking forward to painting him. And uh, he is, he's all rat and no man. And I didn't <laughs> know that we needed that, but, but now I know that it's very important. Just like the little ones, actually. I take it back, I did know it. On a lot of the other Skaven models, they have rats on the base or on the fighter most notably kirk he has like little rat clinging to his shoulder while he's running and it's excellent so now we have one that gets its own base and that's really good one thing we did gloss over that i just want to quickly address was the befowler keyword is is quite a decent rule i think and itchit rabidius skabic and scritter all have this rule which it can be difficult to kind of factor it in because it's never doing anything until round two or three. But starting around staggering someone from your opponent's warband can be really, really strong, even if you're not going first. But I think it will factor into your desire to get initiative and, and choose to go first in those later rounds when normally you might want to go second, just because you're going to get that, that reroll. And having that baked into the warband, even if you have to do some work to make it happen, I think does go a long way to make up for some of the initially, maybe slightly underwhelming accuracy that we've seen like three swords with a reroll from scabic that's that's great odds for a crit you know two hammers with a reroll from rabidius i don't even care if i'm triggering grievous somehow or not i'm just that should hit i like two hammers with a reroll when three damage is coming behind it so it's it's very cool it plays nice with their corrupt cards too but the, the big thing is the stagger and i think that is a lot of value that's easy to at first glance not really bake in 
Yeah, I'm glad that they made it not just kind of a plot card device. We've seen sometimes these keywords and some of these plot decks are really just there to count towards the thing the deck is doing, but giving it that extra bit of like, wow, you smell so bad. I, I'm just staggered at how badly you smell. I just hope nobody likes this. <laughs> All right, let's go into the objectives. I'll, uh, you want me to just go through the objectives first and then we'll... Uh, yeah, but you didn't say who your favorite fighter was. I did not. You're right. I'm going to go ahead and say Rubidius because I like big things that go bonk and he's got the biggest thing with the biggest bonk. That's fair. Mine is Scritter, not for gameplay reasons necessarily, although the concept of him is very close to awesome gameplay design. But just the model alone is enough to sell me on him. Yes, he, he is a fantastic model. And I'm, I'm so very excited to pick these up. I actually went by my local game store today, but whatever receiving manager they have that can actually open their shipments wasn't there. So I couldn't, couldn't get them. I'll get them on Monday. <laughs> so sad. I wanted to have them in front of me while doing this podcast. <laughs> Alas. But okay, moving in. First objective. This is called a leader's privilege. Duel. Score this in an end phase if two or more friendly minions are within two hexes of a friendly leader and those minions are in no one's or enemy territory. The art is fantastic. For everyone who's just listening to us, go on Underworlds DB, look at the art. I love the art on these objectives. Mark, what do you think of this one? Oh yeah, they definitely nailed the art. I think for the set as a whole, the artists did a really good job, so kudos to them. The objective is fine. One Glory... I feel like there are easier ones out there that require a little bit less commitment, a little less fighter restriction. It's nice that everybody besides Skavik is a minion. So, like, really, this is just two or more friendly fighters are within two hexes of Skavik. And there is one other way in the deck to, I think, make Itchit a leader. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's fine. You'll probably score it. Will it require more effort than, say, like, a universal one glory end phase that we see these days? Like, unceasing imperatives or something like that to look at void curse thralls no so i think when you start deck building this one probably drops out but in rivals you'll score it probably yeah the thing i don't like is that as written say you have three minions within two of the leader they still all have to be in enemy or no one's territory so you can't have like two forward and still one close to you behind so yes i think it's it's even a little trickier than at first glance and i it's a lot for one glory. You're right that you'll score it, but it takes a lot more thinking and planning than I want for my one glory end phases. But yeah, it just it takes a little more effort than I'd like for my one glory end phases, you know? And a little more planning ahead, definitely. Yep. Next up, we have Befouled. Surge, score this immediately after an enemy fighter is taken out of action by damage dealt by a friendly Befouler. One glory. Thoughts? That's a pretty solid kill surge. I mean, your your two killiest fighters are befoulers, so it's already you know better than your leader kills, and I like that. And it doesn't say attack action; it says damage dealt by. So that does give you a lot of flexibility. I would say. I mean, there's not immediately that many things that come to mind, but they do have some faction upgrades we'll get into that maybe let your fighter deal one damage. It does mean that Book of Woe kills can score this if you somehow set that up or you know some upgrades like we've seen in the past and i think there's still a couple that let you make an action to just deal one that would still score this surge uh which just makes it a lot better 
than I think normally. Like, score this immediately after an enemy fighter is taken out of damage by an attack action. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, only by your leader. It's, as kill surges go, it's, it's quite flexible. It's not sudden demise, but I don't like that sudden demise exists. So, yeah. So that's good. Yeah, pretty pretty solid kill surge. It's it's pretty close to that. Like your fighter is a thing, and since they are that thing, you killed them. Like savage slaughter is basically the gold standard for kill surge now, right? Because you put in a corn war band, it's just like kill somebody with an attack. Yeah, great, easy. This is pretty close to that, so it's definitely on the upper echelon of of kill surges. Pretty solid. I completely agree. All right, next up with art, you should love even more than the rest. <laughs> Blessed by Corruption. It's a surge. Score this immediately after an opponent's activation step if a friendly minion is on an objective in enemy territory. Yeah, pretty good. I mean, you're going to be trying to corrupt enemy territory anyway, so you might as well be moving in a probably be Fowler onto one of those objectives, but minion gives you a little bit more flexibility in, in the sense that there's five minions in the warband, so Scritter can score it. They have balanced it out with the opponent's activation step thing. Don't know if they needed that on this one. I guess maybe it was to stop you from just running Scritter up with his move 5. I'm on that objective. I score glory, and then even if you kill me, so what? You don't get glory. But for the level of commitment it takes to go into enemy territory, I might have been okay with it scoring immediately after an activation or maybe an opponent's power step instead of opponent's activation step. Yeah, I, it would be obviously much better if the window for scoring was a little bit more generous because this is, you know, the hardest window. You can't score it just by pushing on with a gambit. You have to kind of endure an opponent trying to hit you off of it. So there's a lot of potential to just get it bricked repeatedly early. That said, there's a lot of tech in the game right now that I think means they can do this really fairly reliably. And there's even ways to sneak it with, you know, reactions after an an activation. We'll still score this if you're able to react and make a move action or a push or something. So I think it's it's a very good surge. I mean it it could be better, but I don't think it needs to be. I'm I'm happy with it and I'm yeah, (laughs) not much to say there. It's it's just good and the drawback feels fair just because of how otherwise easy it is. Yeah, I think it's it's still solid. In the context of the Rivals deck, it, like you said, it didn't need to be better. I think if this ended up being a warband where it's like, wow, their surges really aren't very good, you'd be kind of pining over this one, maybe being just that little bit better. But yeah, pretty pretty good yeah. card, and you could definitely probably include... I think you definitely include it in Nemesis. It's maybe borderline in Championship. I could see that, yeah. Next up, we have Bringers of Ruination. Score this in an end phase if three or more territories are corrupted by your warband. Re-glory. What do you think, George? This is one I like. It's it's definitely tough. The like corrupting one territory you will do by accident. Corrupting two territories you will intend to do, and it'll just happen. Corrupting three is is work and planning ahead, and it is it is difficult. I almost kind of wish this was a surge, like score this after if all three territories are corrupted because then you could kind of get that two-round snowball because of how corruption works where it lasts until the end of the next action phase corrupting all three at you know in one round is tough without their their tricks that said it feels like three glory for that effort is fair especially because once you've kind of made that effort if you're corrupting stuff with some of the actions or the gambit there's no interaction left for your opponent 
And I, I think that's fair. I think that this is a card I like, at least in Nemesis, to play for. I go back and forth, but I think that they have tricks to score it early. And even late game, it can be possible. It's obviously going to be very difficult once you're down to less than three fighters. I mean, it's going to be very difficult once you're at three fighters. But there, there's just enough tricks that I feel like you could do it in round three with just one fighter left if that fighter is itching. Yeah, we also score this in round one, though. I I could see like sneaking this through in round one a lot, especially against aggressive bands that kind of try to come and smack you, but they're not going to smack you so hard you can't corrupt no ones and theirs because they're already coming at you. And if they disrupt you scoring this, then they're not coming in to you know eat the juicy center of the uninspired rat war band, and you're happy either way. So I I like it. I accept with the caveat that it's not super easy, but I. Th- think if you are trying to do it it's consistent enough if you make it your plan but it will not happen every game even when you're trying because some opponents will be able to stop you yeah yeah well said i think you definitely need to build in a lot of the power cards for if not all of it into your deck for corrupting territories i i just don't see pulling this off without power card like oh i just corrupt your territory you can't do anything about it with one of their gambits or something because otherwise you're looking at like a buffaler holds an objective or is on an objective in all three territories at the end of the round or you're on two objectives and you have at least two fighters in your territory in a territory besides that it gets basically supremacy-esque at that point with more conditions on where you need to be without the power card support so like Yes, you need to check into it if you're going for it, but the payoff is is fair for the investment that you've made. Yep, that's that's how I describe it. All right, next up we have corrupting the land. Score this in an end phase if no one's and or enemy territory are corrupted by your warband. One glory. I think this is really good. Like uh, we were just talking about the one glory earlier, that was kind of bad with the the leader's privilege. I think this one should just happen. You know, you're trying to corrupt not your territory the entire game because your territory is kind of the given one. Like, how are you going to stop them from corrupting their own territory? Pretty difficult. But if you're not doing this in a game, you're probably getting absolutely demolished anyway. Yeah. And even then, you're getting demolished in your territory. Why are you not over there? <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a good card. I, I like reliable one glory and phases like this. I do like that unlike some other ones, this one still you still have to go to the opponent. So you're you're giving them a chance to contest it, but it's gonna be hard for them to, you know, kill everyone that you walk up with. And it's gonna be almost impossible for them to stop you having someone next to a territory or a token and, and pushing them in. But then that's the point. You spent resources to do it. Mm-hmm. If it was two glory, it would be busted. But oh yeah, it'd be one ridiculous. glory. It's fair, it's reliable, and it kind of signposts you for how you want to play with everything else so it feeds into all your other objectives i really like it yeah all right next up we have infected corpse pile more great art on this one we've got dual score this in an end phase if two or more territories are corrupted by your warband and two or more enemy fighters are out of action to glory thoughts this is good this is this is great this is we, we've covered how easy it's going to be to, to corrupt your own territory and how with that being a given, it's not too difficult to make sure you corrupt one of no one's or your opponent's territory. 
So if you can accept that at just about every point in the game, you'll be corrupting two territories, just as a matter of fact, this says two enemies are out of action, get two glory. It doesn't say that you have to kill them that round. It doesn't. It's very, very good. I think just about every other aggro warband you could think of wishes they had two glory for two enemies out of action. Kanan wishes he had it. Kagra wishes she had it. You know, that they have kill two in the same round for two, which is a much more difficult undertaking. I could see there are games maybe you'll get to round three and you'll like have to choose I can run down here and kill or I can spread out so I actually still have two corrupted for this end phase. But knowing that this is just two glory that you can score just by the positioning of your fighters once you've got those kills is is really nice because you look at either piece of these two conditions in a vacuum if you've got the fighters dead this just says corrupt two territories which you want to do all game which you can do almost all game and if you've got those territories corrupted this says kill two enemies and that's tricky in one round but by round two two enemies should be dead like the only warbands that might hold you off of that are the three fighter warbands and that will happen sometimes but at the same time you're gonna kill two of them by the third round or something went horribly horribly wrong and you should just accept that that game's an anomaly and then you'll just score this anyway because two are corrupted and and you've got two out it's very solid and again very fair card i don't think anyone can get mad to have this scored against them because you they see you see it coming the whole time it's just you can't completely stop any of it because it's a little bit inevitable yeah i think it's very good as well like the baseline old two enemy fighters are out of action was just one glory right the cold-eyed killers or whatever it was yeah back in dire chasm so adding basically a trivial secondary condition and upping the glory total is fantastic and i mean more bands basically run on good in faction two glory end phase like ripa basically makes a living off of having good in faction two glory end phase even like Dread Pageant, FLM, all these warbands that have these good two glory cards for things that they're going to do anyway. Yeah, not that FLM level is too <laughs> Yeah, very solid card. And like I said, very fair. It's not like I'm going to be sitting there being surprised or like, wow, that was so easy. Like it's it's what your game plan is. So yeah, that's fair. And I like you said, most warbands I think today are defined by do they have the two glory end phase? Like, like they need that. Yeah, you need at least we, one. We've come to a place where, where faction to glory end phase is defining kind of meta viability just a bit. Mm-hmm. And happy to say at least this one, you know, makes the cut. Next up, Rabid Harbingers. Surge, duel. Score this immediately after an opponent's activation step if your warband holds two or more objectives and one or more friendly befowlers are on an objective token in your territory. Thoughts? Yeah, this is good. This, this this one needed the opponent's activation step clause to stop it from basically just being hit in purpose. It's still basically just hit in purpose. Like I've been playing some Sepulchral Guard lately, and they have Land of the Dead, which is hold two objectives, and they're worth six or more after your opponent's activation step. This is better because you have so many befowlers anyway. Like you're probably going to be holding one of those objectives in your territory. It's probably going to be held by a befowler. The one caveat with it if there is such for this card, is just be careful of Scritter, since he can't hold, unless you give him a very particular power card that just released with Pass Prophecy. Since he can't hold, he can satisfy the second condition for you, but he can't help you satisfy the first. So just keep an eye out for that. But yeah, hold two objectives for one glory has been a staple surge card for a long time, and it's very good. Yeah, 
No, I, I like this a lot, and this is one that also will kind of... It can seem tricky with that drawback when you're starting the game and saying, oh, I have to do this. But I think this will happen you know, kind of by accident as you draw into it, so it's very fair that it's after the opponent's activation. Because often, at least what I've found is when I want to invade, I do want to park just one Befowler in my territory in the back so that that's getting corrupted no matter what, and I can go up. And then this will just happen later while I'm, you know, we're fighting somewhere else, and there's still that one dude doing his job. You're doing good, itch it, and, and there we go. So it's a great surge. For sure. Next up, we have Reckless Fanatics. Duel, score this in an end phase if. There are two or more friendly fighters adjacent to the same enemy fighter, and one or more of those friendly fighters are befowlers to glory. George. I don't love it. You know, it. I think in Rivals it'll feel kind of nice. E- even in Nemesis, there's... Well, no. I, I, I don't take this in Nemesis. I mean, I, I could see myself doing it if I want to not try for one of the three glory end phases, but I'd rather play for that and get that payoff than... <laughs> Then play for this, especially because I think most of the time, if I have two guys next to one of yours in the end phase, like I whiffed two attacks that should have hit. I don't want an objective, even as a backup for whiffing two attacks. I don't want to hit you and then be like, oh no, it's bad that I hit you. Like, like that's just not a good game plan. And yes, you could just push with this, and there's lots of ways to surprise do that. But I think it's a always a gamble to leave your fighters next to your opponent's fighters at the end of a round because you don't know who goes first next round. If this was just, and a Befowler is next to someone for one, like like just one friendly fighter, Befowler is adjacent to an enemy, I would do it. Because I like that. I like using the Befowler rule. But this is just, it's too much. It's too big an ask. And I do dislike that it requires at least two fighters alive because you are going to have a lot of losses with this warband. So this is never getting scored in round three, pretty much. And I think it gets really, di- really difficult after round one. And that is a criticism you could, you know, level at a lot of objectives, but, like, there's just no way to score this with one fighter. Even, uh, you know, Ringers of Ruination, however convoluted, there's a way to score it with just one fighter left alive. It's silly, and it takes, you know, two activations, but, two or three. But you could do it. So, mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that's my thoughts. <laughs> yeah, a lot of these, sometimes you'll look at these two glory end phases and be like, oh, wow, it doesn't require kills. I don't hit anything. I don't even have to wound. Like, great. But it does kind of reinforce poor play decisions. Like, we see the same thing with stagger in some instances. Like, you look at some of those two glory end phases, like, oh, wow, I just need to stagger three guys and I score two glory. It's pretty difficult for my opponent to do something about that if I have good power card support. And similarly here, like you could just pack in a bunch of push tech and out of sequence move it, moves and stuff and do it. But the aspect of like, you're not killing your fighter, you're intentionally leaving them alive to score this, or you're giving up support on a potential attack at the beginning of the next round, like you alluded to. I think you're basically making bad decisions that are good decisions because you have the objective to score off of it, but gameplay-wise are putting you at a disadvantage inherently. And you're still like, okay, well, I can't drive that guy off this objective or whatever because I need to score this objective. But then one of your opponent just offsets it with Sorceress Treasure Hunter or something. Like, I'd just rather be looking for the glory denial because a lot of instances where you're leaving the guy alive, you're kind of breaking even as your opponent scores things anyway. Or if you're leaving them in the position where they want them to be. Definitely. Exactly. 
Next up, we have Ruinous Supremacy. Score this in an end phase if your warband holds more objectives than there are surviving enemy fighters. Another three glory. What do you think? This is another one I like. Obviously, saying I like it doesn't mean I think it's reliable. This one is <laughs> its difficult to evaluate because it is heavy on the matchup element. This is one that I think I like more in championship because you have the tools in champ to more reliably say, I'm just going to murder them. Like, my plan is to murder you. And in Nemesis, as much as it does become an aggro fest, the dice and the damage just aren't necessarily going to be there. And I do think you're more likely to see, like, a 5-6-7 fighter band in Nemesis than you are in Champ right now. It feels balanced enough to me just that, in theory, this is possible in each round of the game, which is an important criteria I like to evaluate end phases by because, you know, some are going to be easier early and some are going to be easier later. And you still want your end phases to at least be achievable late. And I think that this is most achievable late, but there are still going to be games where you have a window that you can, you know, this is just supremacy against a three-fighter band if you kill one, you know, in round one or two. And that's not bad. And if you, you know, are able to table a three-fighter band, which again, in championship is not an unrealistic goal, this is hold one for three glory in the third round. And I, I would play that as a third round end phase, personally. I think most people would. Obviously, there's going to be those matches where you just can't score it. So I, I think it's going to take that slot in your deck where if you can have 11 consistent objectives, you put this in knowing that it's going to be, you know, the the differential in maybe like that ping matchup, and then you'll just chuck it in those matchups where you can't score it, but everything else is more reliable. I want to like it just because the flavor and the name and I do think it's it's an interesting design. I think it would maybe not have killed them to say holds as many or more objectives than there are surviving enemy fighters, but I can see how that would be too good because in the you know case of an elite warband, that's supremacy in round one, and then basically three glory path to victory in round two, and you know hold one for three glory in round three, which is. Yeah, you'd have to you'd have to knock it knock it down to two glory, I think, on yeah, that condition. In that case, so, which I think I would actually yeah. prefer. I, if that was two glory for at least as many, I would probably take this in most of my decks. Having more is a it, quite a wrinkle, I think, and it's definitely a meta call card. Like, if the best player in your local meta plays Ulcral Guard, don't take this, right? Because you're going to meet that guy at the top table, and you'll be like, well. This is yes. a useless card. I, I hear you, Mark. I will uh, not ruin <laughs> I hear you. So I, I think if we're looking at the two, three glory end phases that are in the deck, I prefer Bringers of Ruination, personally, just because there's less your opponent can do about it. It's less volatile from matchup to matchup in a lot of respects, as long as you bring the power card tech and make a conservative effort to get those corruptions down. It's kind of feasible across the board across matchups yeah. this one just knowing like oh there will be sometimes i need to just chuck it i tend to like to avoid those kinds of cards i want everything to be scorable against everybody even if something like this could potentially tech in against a problematic matchup for me i i definitely agree with that philosophy and i i do think i like bringers of ruination better overall just because it's it's more it's the same difficulty against everyone yep. which is high but but manageable. Uh, mm -hmm. So I like that I'm going to have it and know what I have to do to get it. I do think that there's a case to take, 
you know, a meta call, at least sometimes if you've got a good read on the meta. And I do think that, you know, again, not so much in Nemesis, but in Championship, even Sepulchral Guard, I think, you have a chance of murdering enough of them if you're able to get to the Warden. And they have tech that might, you know, enable that. Or, I, I don't know, you're right that it's it's going to be very, very, very difficult, if not impossible, against Exile Dead or Sepulchral Guard. Just about every other Horde Warband, you'll still do it. I think. Yeah, maybe so not like Grimwatch, but yeah, yeah. Well, I and Grimwatch too. That's right. But uh, you know, even, even Gits, I think you'll murder your way through them by round three. And yeah, you can get this. It, it may be a, yeah. a win more card in that respect because if you've already murdered that much, did you need three glory? But yeah, yep. I don't know. I have to play with it more. I want to like it. I do think that even if it doesn't end up being, you know, worthy of a slot in the deck, it's a very cool design. And I like to see end phases that are cool design. For sure. All right. Next up, Scuttling Horde. Surge. Score this immediately after your Warband's third or successive move action made in the same phase. What do you think, Mark? So I am on a huge Void Curse Thralls kick right now, and I am at the point where I'm ready to declare move actions are better than pushes, friendly pushes. So I love this card. Like, I've been having so much fun with refashion reactions, refashioned priorities, forced movements, just moving all over the place. To spoil ahead a little bit, they do have a faction gambit for making a move action out of sequence. Yeah, this is just insanely good. And you've got six fighters in the first place, so like worst case, you draw this in round one, you're scoring it in activation three. Later in the game, maybe it gets a little bit more difficult, but as long as you're taking a deck that has sufficient power card support for it, it's, it's basically trivial. Yeah, I, I think the only time you're not making three move actions in the same phase is if you go into round three with only one fighter left alive. Yep, and even and then you could still potentially could. pull it off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. so the, this is, I think, an insane surge. You're, it, you know, it's not going to happen on round one, activation one, and maybe that takes away from it, but for me, this is, if I draw it in round one, I know I'm scoring it in round one. Yep, yeah, I'm happy to, as long as it cycles out of my hand by the end of the round, which it will, I'm... Yeah. Totally fine with that. And I'll I'll know exactly when I'm getting it. There's no dice in me getting it. And I can even, you know, you can draw into this on the third and say, oh, I'm going to my fourth activation. I'm going to charge. And and you'll still score it. Mm-hmm. It's it's just, it's going to happen. You make move actions or charge actions every single round. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no complaints there. Our next objective is spreading filth. Score this immediately after an opponent's activation step if there are one or more friendly fighters in two or more territories and one or more enemy fighters are out of action. What do you think? This is yet another amazing surge for them. And I I don't even (laughs) mind the after an opponent's activation step yet again because it will just happen. I will draw this at some point without playing for it and and just score it. (laughs) Yeah, you're just playing the game and you get a glory for shredding filth, basically. I I think I don't know if this is intentional on the designer's part, but if you look at the flavor text, it says the paths of victory that fervent worshippers. This like has paths of victory, yeah. Air to me, like the one at one fighter out of action, two or more. In this case, it's territories, not objectives. But it's a kind of new concept for a card. I think they might have gone a little too easy with it. I think maybe it could have been two fighters out of action instead, so that it posed more as a late game surge but as written basically like if you charge into enemy territory and kill somebody you score this card unless they manage to kill the guy back after their activation yeah. but like 
well, the fact is just going to happen. Yeah, it will just happen, and it, you know that's why even if they're watching out for it sooner or later, the situation will exist. But yep. I, I do think that the uh, you know the timing window on it makes it a little fairer because it is going to be tricky to to say in round one I want this to happen and you know guarantee that it happened or at least if you're playing directly for it you're going to telegraph it a bit and you know you'll have some back and forth there so it's not no it's very good it's very very good but i i think that the the window on it gives your opponent just enough leeway to say well i'm going to i'm going to bash you back and now that works yeah definitely an important balancing aspect of the card yeah all right next up useful distraction Surge, hybrid, score this immediately after an activation step in which a friendly minion was supporting a friendly fighter, or a surviving friendly minion was the target of an attack action. Also crazy. So obviously a theme of the warband is they have extremely good surges, which I think is actually very good design on the developer's part to mitigate the fragility of the warband. You give them good, easy glory on the surges. But this one is possibly the best in the set. I think Scuttling Horde's a little bit better. But this one just like, oh, my opponent missed an attack, I score a glory. And it's not even, it's like totally agnostic to whether the attack hit or not. Like you could just get hit and live, or they missed, or they drove you back, or whatever. And then if there was support, you could be dead, and it still doesn't care, right? So just very good. And it doesn't even need to be defensive, because on the first condition, you could just be supporting an offensive attack and score that one so yeah all all very good on this card i really have i think it's well designed enough but it's well designed to be a strong surge yeah you you said it all it's uh, it's good that they have some mitigation for their fragility and you know i do like that this can maybe make your opponent think do i want to charge and try to take that yolo swing because if i whiff i might just hand to a glory but i don't think it's so good that it'll actually disincentivize that it's it's very strong. I don't think it's too strong. No, yeah, but if this was in a different warband, it would be too strong. Yeah, the uh, cunning crew. <laughs> the punishing of like a reckless swing, for example, is pretty interesting. It kind of reminds me a little bit of everything to prove in that respect of like your opponent is trying to do the thing because it's going to give them a glory. So in that case, it was take primacy. And here they're trying to do the thing because like, oh, you know, I'll kill a minion, whatever, or get my reckless swing glory. And it's just like, well, I also get a glory for that because you did this thing. Really nice. Yeah. What's your favorite in the set, George? Oh, that's so hard. That's so hard. I'm going to go ahead and say Ruinous Supremacy just because of the flavor. <laughs> I'm going to stick to Scuttling Horde. I'm just an absolute Void Curse Thralls junkie right now. Yeah. So I, I'm basically grabbing each Warband that works with it and just making a bunch of move actions. In addition to being... E- <laughs> yes. In addition to it being fun to make a lot of move actions because you're repositioning a lot of pieces on the board. This is just a great search, and it's going to give you that glory pretty quickly. You're completely right there. And Scuttling Horde <laughs> is by far a better objective than Ruinous Supremacy, but I'm sticking <laughs> to my flavor guns here. It says Supremacy in it. It's supreme, <laughs> man. All right, now we can start getting into the power cards. Yeah, so our first one is Expeditious Assistance. The first attack or defense roll made by a friendly fighter in the next activation has innate single support. Thoughts? It's cool. It's cool, but it's not quite there. I don't know. It it seems really interesting on first glance, and then I go back, and it just doesn't do it for me. I would so much rather this be like a friendly fighter has an additional supporting fighter, 
I don't know. It's it's very interesting design, but it's it's not quite as strong as I'd like. I think the advantage to this over has additional supporting fighter though is that especially uninspired, the warband rolls very few dice both offensively and defensively, and this is a way to add to your total number of successes that you can cap out at. So if I'm sitting there with my two sword attack and I have single support, that's basically just a two hammer attack into somebody. But if I'm suddenly adding a given, oh, I can I have just one through already. That makes a big difference, especially if you're targeting a fighter that has just one defense die anyway. And similarly, on the defensive side, they all roll one dodge or whatever. But if you factor in like a counter charge with this, suddenly you have a given, I've blocked something, and I can still block more. So it's like, the, the versatility is nice. I might have liked to see more in-faction inherent support cards like you mentioned. But if you're looking at something like Beastbound Assault, which works quite well with these guys too, there's a lot of baseline one additional supporting fighter type of cards in that pack. That's true. And I, I did immediately think of the, the combination of this with Unexpected Ally and saying, wow, this is innate hit. It's just that's two cards that I have to line up. Sure. Yes. So yeah. I like it. What I ended up disliking was that it kind of like, yes, I will always be trying to take supported attacks, but they don't have as much built in like if I want support, I'll have it as, yes. say, like, Coming Crew or Spulker Guard or a different warband. So it's tricky just because it's, well, if I take this, I want extra cards to help make it work. And then I want to play with the plan of making it work. And now instead of the Gambit helping me play, I'm playing to help the Gambit to help me play. And, yeah, and I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's definitely really a combo cool. piece. Yeah. And, all right, next, yeah. Festering Sneak. Choose a friendly minion. Push the chosen minion up to two hexes. After the push, that minion must be adjacent to one or more enemy fighters and or a friendly leader. Yeah, two hex push is really good. And this works for most of your fighters. I I think it's widespread enough that the minion restriction is not really a problem for me. Having to end adjacent to anybody in particular dampens the card a little bit like you start looking at a lot of other horde war bands and they have just like blanket push two fighters two hexes kind of thing so in the context of that it's definitely a little bit of a downgrade but it's still a fine card for some push redundancy i think as you start to up your deck building format especially to championship you start cutting this one especially because well-trained exists and is just a better version of this but it's the kind of thing that could definitely see making the cut in, in nemesis and it's definitely going to like provide value regardless of whether it's in your deck or not. Like If you're just somebody who plays the Rivals deck and then maybe has a few other cards at your disposal, like this will still have value in a game. It's not like it's really going to bust on you. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad card by any means. It doesn't you know, hit the bar like, that we maybe started having set in Beastgrave and Direchasm, where I think you look at most of the Horde Warbands there have push two, and it was like some keyword, usually Hunter or... In the yep. case of uh, Starbloods, I think Skink. But it pushed two of them two hexes with, with no other you know, restriction. The Grimwatch could push two two hexes. Grashrak could push two hunters two hexes. And that's really strong. But I will say those warbands didn't have as much other faction pushes as we will you know, see here. and Or move tech. I do really like this card. I agree that once you get to championship, it's maybe just not best in slot. And you can take other less niche pushes. But I, I can't imagine playing Nemesis without this in my deck. 
And in general, pushes are very, very good. So there is a case for taking this in champ still if you want to go just, I took seven pushes and three make a move action gambits and I don't care about extra dice. Mm-hmm. And there's, I don't know if that's the optimal choice, but it's a valid choice. For sure. Jumping ahead, we have Feverish Flailing. You can reroll one dice in the next attack action, or the next attack roll for the first attack action made by a friendly fighter in the next activation. Thoughts? This is a pretty pretty standard card for, you know, warbents that are hurting for accuracy. I would have, obviously we'd all like things to be a little better sometimes. So this, this could have been reroll one dice for each attack action made by a friendly fighter in the next activation just to let Rabidius do his scything thing. This could have been just one additional dice for the first one. You know, I, I would always rather plus one dice over a reroll, but I'm not going to complain. I mean, it's it's kind of a basic card. It's not quite the bar for a championship, but I think in Nemesis, you'll fit it more often than not just because you want accuracy, and this will give you accuracy to an extent. Yeah, I don't want to spend too much time on the card. It is quite quite straightforward. The only kind of niche thing here is the fact that it is a re-roll playing in with your stagger gets kind of funky because like, well, did you roll no successes in your attack roll and now you need two re-rolls? That definitely, maybe they were factoring that in of like, oh, if I, if we gave them plus one dice, then that re-roll from the stagger becomes even more oppressive. So they may have toned it to a re-roll instead of plus one dice for that reason. Yeah, that's a valid point. All right, next yeah. card. Manifestation of a Great Plague. Choose a friendly priest and roll one magic dice. On a roll of lightning or crit, the territory the chosen priest is in is corrupted by your warband. Restricted priest. Thoughts? This one's hard to rate. Like Historically, you've looked at the 66, 55, like the 50 to 66% to work type of gambits need to be very powerful to merit inclusion in your deck. Like if you're thinking daylight robbery or something in that range. Having a card that's just not always going to work, and not even just not always going to work, not going to necessarily work dependably. Like Flame Wisps is not always going to work, but it's most of the time it's going to work. Like it's what eighty eight percent or eighty nine percent or whatever on Flame Wisps yeah, so it's with five a wizard. Six yeah, it's, wizard. It's, yeah, it's much more dependable than something like this. Is the spike potential high enough that it fits in your deck? I mean, like we talked about earlier, if you're playing Bringers of Ruination you need this card. Like You need a way to just walk into your enemy's territory, drop something that says, I corrupt this in the name of Clan Pestilence, and then say, okay, you can't do anything about it. It's corrupted. It's like the the fact that you can't undo corruption, which is a really great kind of improvement on what we saw with Desecration with Kagra. Maybe there needs to be some middle ground of like, you can undo it, but it's not so easy as undoing Desecration. But yeah, the ability to just walk in, drop this, say, bam, doom, corrupted done you're basically guaranteeing a first round inspire you're basically guaranteeing all of your two territories corrupted type of conditions and making accessible the three territories corrupted i think it's pretty critical to that game plan and you're gonna have to slot it in it's just gonna hurt really bad in that one (laughs) game in the best of three where you roll focus and you're like yeah i have you know as a bringers of ruination enjoyer i have played with and without this card i'm still I'm still not sure. It's just I the real stumbling block for me is that if I take this, I feel like I need to take Voice of the Great Corruptor in my upgrades. Yes. And that's two slots that I really don't like giving up for effects that don't really do anything. And 
I, I will say that I take Voice of the Great Corruptor before I take this, just because that works by itself. Yep. Whereas this kind of, like, yes, I could use this with my leader, but I don't want to run into enemy territory with my leader just to drop this in round one. Yep. And I, I, I rate like having a subpar upgrade as better than having a gambit that even in the good case doesn't do anything until scoring. Yep. But scoring is what wins the game. And you have to keep <laughs> that in mind. But it's, it's hard. And I think I may come back around on this one. But right now I'm trying to see if I can manage Bringers of Ruination without it. And it's, I might put it back in. It's just going to, I wish it did something else like on the rolls. Or if this could choose any one of your fighters. The fact that it has to be a priest means this is just your leader. And then sometimes it can be itchy. Yeah, I think it would not have been unfair if it was just like restricted be Fowler instead of priest. Yeah, exactly. That might have felt a little bit better because your opponent kind of already knew that you were trying to run their Befowlers into whatever territory. And it's already still only working on a 66%. Exactly. If, I feel like for this to be priest, it should just happen. But then yeah. I, I also admit that having it just happen is a bit of a negative play experience. So I'm fine with it being random, but I would have rather it say the Befowler can just make it happen mm -hmm. but that's all right we can't have everything and i still love the warbands next up we have move move choose a friendly minion the chosen minion makes a move action how much do you like this card oh so very much <laughs> so much it is restricted to leader yes yeah it is restricted it's, it's so good i if i will never not take this card i will never not love this card i will never not cackle when i do something completely surprising with this card and i'm yeah, sure it, you feel the same <laughs> yeah it's uh, like i've said a few times already i'm fully hooked on the whole move all my pieces around moves are better than pushes i'm i'm 100 percent on board with with additional out of sequence move actions that allows you to trigger some absolutely ridiculous stuff these days super good card definitely not a lot more to say than that mm -hmm. moving on overpowering odors back to the smelling bad the action Play this card during a friendly fighter's range 1 or range 2 attack action after the defense roll if that attack action would fail and there were one or more successes in the attack roll. Add 1 to the number of successes rolled by the attacker. This is a really interesting design space. I like the concept a lot. And when I first saw this card, I was like, wow, that's awesome. And then I did some math and I was like, I would rather just have plus one dice, even like a reroll, I think it's just better in most of the mathematical calculations that I've done. I think the only cases where this started to provide a lot of value is when people were really stacking defense dice. But just the percentage chances of draws are usually in the neighborhood of 10%. The odds that you're going to draw and have this card in your hand at the same time, suddenly like the overlapping need to have it at the time the thing happens begins to feel pretty bad especially when you're starting to look at a meta with devoted offerings not to get too far off track <laughs> where like you need to be playing your gambits to score things these kind of reactions can really start to clog your hand and then you're just sitting there at the end of the round well the thing didn't happen so i guess i'll throw this away yeah i mean i i think draws happen enough like see contest of equals but the issue is that this is a draw and you have to have a success. And that's yeah. where it gets... It, if this just said, if, you know, it would fail, add one. And then you could have that case where, well, my two swords rolled two hammers, but your one dodge rolled one block. I hit you anyway. I do like that this card can turn off Contest of Equals, even if it doesn't make your attack succeed. 
Like if they click hmm. defended and you had just one, you can still, you know, react and be like, you don't get contest. Yep. But that's a weird, you know, not big play. It just sounds funny and cool. Yeah, because you're doing you're doing the thing, and then you're like, well, I still miss because, yeah. like, if you rolled a crit and I rolled a, a regular hit, and I do this, I still miss. Yeah, exactly. but, but you just don't score the contest, and that's where it starts to feel like getting a true tie instead of well, we just rolled the same number of successes, and now this helps me in some way. Exactly. I I feel like. From this design, they had a surge that said make reactions. Like I feel like every other warband that has a card like this that like could be a preemptive gambit but is a reaction has a surge for like make lots of reactions, but they don't. So I, I don't see this making the cut a lot. Like it's it's funny and it's fun and you know, maybe it'll feel better than the reroll in Nemesis if I end up in situations where I have like, oh I rolled hit hit, I don't even want to use my stagger reroll. But uh, it's a cool design. It just doesn't have the throughput. But I'm always yeah. happy to see cool design. So yes, not yeah, I, I, I want to. I definitely want to see more in this vein. Even though I'm not giving this card a whole lot of merit on its own. Yeah. All right. We've got. Oh no, I did the last one. Yes, my turn. <laughs> We've got Pestilent Blessing. Choose a friendly minion. The chosen minions range one and range two attack actions have Grievous one. In addition, the chosen minion is a Befowler. This effect persists until the end of the action, until the end of the round, or until that minion is taken out of action. Restricted to priest. Important note being that you can only use this when a priest is on the field, not that you have to use it on a minion who is a priest. I like this. I think this is a great way to surprise corrupt the territory because you can make Poxlix or Ricket of a Fowler. I also like Grievous One. I mean, if this was just plus one damage, it would be way too strong. But you roll, once you're inspired, you're rolling four dice with Poxlix. So this, getting Poxlix to Grievous 2 with this, I think feels pretty good. I also really like that you can still slap this on Rabidius. And from a Nemesis perspective, saying my three swords guy now has Grievous 1 and three damage. Or two hammers, rather, I should say. But three swords on his scything. So there's a lot of use cases for it. I think making someone who's not a Befowler a Befowler can be clutch for the you know corrupt game plan it can also just excuse me be very good for some of your other cards that are restricted befowler and free grievous one is not to be scoffed at in a nemesis environment yeah i think you kind of hit the nail on the head with this is more of a nemesis card than it would be say a championship card i think the second condition is definitely the more attractive thing to me, like making somebody a surprise befowler, like you said, starts to unlock a lot of stuff for the warband. Suddenly you're doing the hold two objective surge a little bit easier. You're corrupting a little bit easier. It just makes everything in that game plan more cohesive. The Grievous is fine, but if you compare it to cards like Ferocious Blow in the past for the straight plus one damage... How many times are you necessarily going to be throwing out attacks with the same fighter in a round? Maybe the scything on Rabidius is enough to pay off that value, but largely you're probably just looking at, I have one chance to make this Grievous attack, and if it doesn't crit, that part of the card hasn't done anything for me. So yeah, the Befowler angle definitely seems more attractive to me on this card. And it'll again, it's another one that's not going to blow anybody away, but it will still provide some usefulness in whatever game you happen to take it in. Definitely. You know, overall, interesting card. Yeah. So we're, we're still seeing yeah, a lot again, of Yeah, again, I like really the cool design. design on this one. It's very cool. Yep. 
Yeah. All right. Rancid Vomit. Roll one magic dice. On a roll of Swirl, choose an enemy fighter adjacent to one or more friendly Befowlers. Deal two damage to the chosen fighter. Are you vomiting right now? Internally, a little bit. I mean, I get, you know, Skaven kind of like this whole chaotic nature of boom, bust, variation and results kind of thing. But a 33% chance for a card to work, you need way higher spike potential than, than two damage. Like I mentioned Daylight Robbery earlier that has a 50% chance to work, and it, it spikes way harder than this does. I'm just not taking it. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I, this is a rival's card. And that's yes. fine. And, you know, it'll feel really bad for some people when you just sit there and go, ha ha, two damage. But I, from a design perspective, I am totally cool with, you know, variable output cards, especially if it's on theme for Skaven. But it's important that the card, you know, have a low case that's not nothing. Like if this was, you know, like a three tier card, let's say on a roll of swirl, deal like one to that enemy and one to yourself. On a roll of channel, deal one to that enemy. On a crit, do two to them and one to yourself. Like, I would be, you know, and the one to yourself is just to balance it. Like, I'd be fine with that. I yeah, that would that be really would cool. Be pretty cool. And maybe even too strong. But just the... Maybe two to, to the enemy, one to yourself or something like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. just something that, that even when you roll bad, it still has a, a minimum predictable effect that, like, you're good with. Because the minimal predictable effect here is, I played this card and nothing happened. And that's the majority of the time. So, yeah, it's not like I'm a good play experience for either side, right? Like, if I miss, I feel bad, and if I hit, you feel bad. So it's it's like who who wins when it goes off or when it doesn't go off. Yeah, exactly. All right. Next up, we have unctuous citations. Choose a friendly leader and a friendly minion. Push each chosen fighter one hex. Restricted priest. This is cool. This is a nice. It's a nice push. Important to note that you have to choose each of them and you have to push each of them. So if you somehow ended up with no friendly leader, you can't play this. And if you somehow have only your leader alive, you can't play this. And they both have to be pushed, which are all drawbacks, but they will never stop me taking this card. This is push two friendly fighters, one hex. And even with that inflexibility, I'm, I like it. I'm going to want it. It's pusher leader and one other friendly fighter. Yeah, yeah. Two two sidesteps in a single card is is just too good to pass up, even with the couple of drawbacks you mentioned. Really solid card, indeed. All right, last of the gambits, vile blood reaction. Play this during an enemy fighter's range one or range two attack action. After the deal damage step, if the target would be taken out of action, minus one damage to a minimum of one from that enemy fighter's range 1 and range 2 attack actions. This effect persists until that enemy fighter is taken out of action or makes a successful range 1 or range 2 attack action. Important caveat for this card, it does not reduce the attack you react to with it. It reacts attacks they make after that. Yes, it was so it was so close. It was so close. It just needed to do that. They printed a card that was actually I think slightly better than this with your blade is broken. I'd have to go back and check if the wording was actually slightly better on that one. I think it was because I'm pretty sure that one didn't end after they made a successful attack action. I think it just kept going. There's some aspect of like you want to control a big fighter's damage output. 
But between ping and all the plus damage in the game, even in Nemesis, like I'm not just talking champ anymore, even in Nemesis, you can pretty easily offset a minus one damage, especially one that's only temporary. I I just can't see taking this one. Yeah, and I just double-checked for you. Your blade is broken, persists, until that enemy fighter is taken out of action. Yep. Um, yeah. You know, if, so, even if this was deal one to the enemy attacking you, I wouldn't take it. Because just I hate reactions that are such a specific situation I can't control. You know, like like what if this is like my chance to play this is on them killing me with their one damage attack. Yeah. Like from their one I don't care. Or they from range care. three they or whatever. Yeah. Already. Like like it's Yep. You know, if it would be really cool if this was just like a like skin of their teeth and it just saved you from that one attack. It would probably be broken if this saved you from that one attack and nerfed that enemy. But like this, I'm I'm never going to use this even in Nemesis. Yep. Which is a shame because the art's really cool. And I like I can see weird uses for it. And, you know, in Rivals, you'll, you'll get those. And maybe someone will take it in Nemesis and, like, pull that off. But I just don't think you'll pull it off consistently enough for it to, to really be worth the cut to me. End of the Gambits, which one's your favorite? Oh, it's tough. I'm going to go with Pestilent Blessing. That's a pretty cool card. Yeah, it's fair. On this one, I think I liked Move Move the best, just because again I'm very addicted to the to the movement shenanigans. And I wanted to leave it for you. (laughs) So generous. All right, moving on to the last set. Here we've got the upgrades, starting out with Bursting Sores reaction. Use this after an activation step. If this fighter was dealt damage in the preceding activation, choose an enemy fighter within two hexes of this fighter. Deal one damage to that enemy fighter. What do you think? It's it's niche, you know, the like combo player in me is like, oh, there's something really silly that I can do with this, but this isn't even as good as uh, the Shadeborn upgrade that lets you do silly things. Dusklore Bracers. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, it's like supposed to be that disincentive, oh, you hit me and you'll take damage back, but they have to be within two of you. You have to survive, and it can only proc once, you know, for getting hit in activation so you can't even do something silly like i have three wounds but i ran back and forth through a lethal hex and i do two to you so yeah. i don't have to you know roll for my attack or i charged and i do two to you and and now surprise it's again i'm sure some people will take it and you know enjoy it and i'm sure in rivals it'll get some work done but it just can't deliver enough value you'll most games i think it'll do one or zero damage at a time and place not of my choosing, and I don't, I don't like that. Yeah, I think a couple of opportunities to improve the design of the card would be to just move the reaction. So one option is to move it until after the deal damage step instead of after the activation step so that you can proc it more reliably even if you die. Or two, make it only on enemy effects. So like you can technically proc this yourself, right? Like you mentioned, by running through a lethal and deals damage to this fighter it becomes this kind of interesting mirror ping type of card like we have mirror move but we don't really have a mirror ping this could have been that to some extent and would have been kind of interesting but as written it just doesn't hit either niche yeah all right next card is the doozy disgusting appearance plus one defense and i'm going to read the flavor text here because it applies sometimes being a hideous target is enough to throw an opponent off their stride. The, the art on this one with the flavor tech. 
the smile and just his daughters of Kane just looking at him like, what? Fantastic. And yeah, plus one defense is, is always good, especially on a warband that struggles to access two dice so consistently. Just super good card. I gotta say, another card I hope people don't LARP at Nova. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, I would never not take this card. I don't think there's any warband that wouldn't take this card if it was on offer. I do kind of like, especially for Poxlix, Rickett, and Skabic, that when they inspire and they switch from dodge to block, the plus one defense gets, you know, proportionally better on them too. Kind of just another way to set that interesting niche for the otherwise, you know, two wound dongle fighters. And it does also play nice with Void Cursed, which makes me very, very happy. Yes. Yeah. All right. Next up, we have Glorious Sacrifice. When this fighter is taken out of action, if the territory they are in is not corrupted by your warband, that territory is corrupted by your warband. Otherwise, gain one glory point, then break this card. I like it a lot. I mean, what's not to like? It's, uh, it either helps you score your objectives, or it is an objective all on its own. I don't like, and you've covered this in your article, that it doesn't work with Scritter. Why yep. doesn't it work with Scritter? I can gloriously sacrifice my good boy. Yeah, this would have been the perfect thing to fix Scritter, and it just it doesn't work. I, I don't know if maybe that this should have just been like his ability, maybe not the glory point part, but like when this fighter would be taken out of action, They're they are not taken out of action, and the territory they are in becomes corrupted. I think would have been interesting for him as a deterrent. But yeah, I think you're still probably taking the card. Like it's a great deterrent card in the first place, and. Oftentimes, it won't be enough of a deterrent to stop your opponent from still killing them, which means you still get the benefit, which is awesome. So you're either offsetting your glory bleed or netting that clutch corruption for inspiration, for bringers of ruination, etc. Yeah, I, I will point out just the one niche thing that can be interesting here. If you're sometimes this can backfire, like if you are counting on this to corrupt for that third corruption in a territory that you'd already corrupted. That will not work because the, the territory is corrupted and then it stops at the end of the action phase. This won't extend a corruption. Yes. But you'll still be getting the glory. I mean, it's like, oh no, one glory, which yeah. might actually be your feeling if it means you don't score, you know, bringers of ruination. But it's a very good card. It offsets the bleed of, you know, a six fighter warband with, who only gives up five already. I think when we've seen similar cards, just that are just when I die, get a spent glory, or you know, even surges. People would take martyred, and yep. there's no reason not to take this card. I think you can also proc it yourself. So like you can just run somebody into a lethal hex and kill them, and be like, yeah. that territory is corrupted now. Done. Which affects your board choices, I think. Yeah, uh, just a bit, even from Nemesis' perspective, where you're thinking, well, maybe I'll really go forward, and you'll end up in that situation where the boards are inverted, and you're in their territory, and they're in yours. You can just be like, my guy's going to run in and kill himself. Big yep, brain. For sure. All right. The next card, Noxious Vapors. Deal one damage to each enemy fighter adjacent to this fighter at the end of the action phase. And it's restricted to Befowler. I'm coming around on this card a little bit since I wrote my article. The fact that you don't have to telegraph who it's going to be, because like, you can just throw the upgrade on right before the end of the round, right? That's really nice, or before the end of the action phase, not the round. But you can just throw it in, in that last power step. I still 
struggle with it a little bit when you're looking at other more reliable sources of additional damage in terms of ping gambits or cards like the Great Strength or in faction Great Strength, which we're going to get to soon. It's very borderline for me. I could definitely see taking it in a Nemesis setting. I'm not sure it's one of their 10 best upgrades once you start to get to Championship. Yeah, I largely feel the same way. I go back and forth because I think if you take this card, it incentivizes a different playstyle than what I necessarily want to do, right? Like, I want to use my extra moves and pushes to get on tokens and corrupt stuff, and this says, no, no, just surprise move and put this down and ping their whole warband. You know, there are two voices inside of you. But it's solid for all that. I think if this was just, you know, upgrade, like ping one to an enemy, that's what it is. This is a free ping if you can stick you know, the landing, but since you can wait until the last power step, it's solid. I do also, and I mentioned this earlier, Pestilent Blessing lets you pull this off with Poxlix or Ricket, which is another fun way to be like surprise because they're Befowlers until the end phase. So this would break, but I, I think if this pings someone even once, at least in a Nemesis setting, it, it kind of did its job. Like, you can put great strength on someone and hit one attack to get that one shot and say that upgrade did its job, so this doing that one damage that maybe finishes a big fighter off or it's good it's not great and i will probably play without it sometimes but i think that it's more a play style choice than a power level choice in nemesis in championship i don't think you you can fit this yeah all right moving on to pox ridden lucidity reaction Use this after this fighter's first successful range one or range two attack action in a round Pick one, draw one power card, draw one objective card, then place one objective card on the bottom of your objective deck, restricted to Rubidius, Slicks, and Ricket. And reading this out loud, I feel like there really just should have been an or between the two things you could do, just for absolute clarity. <laughs> yeah, I've been <laughs> mentally inserting an or there, but this doesn't have absolute clarity. It has pox-ridden clarity. It's cool. I like this kind of effect and design, and we've said this before, but I... I want to shout out GW for the design in this warband, you know, pushing the envelope in a few places. And maybe some cards didn't quite hit the power level we want to see as competitive players. But it's still definitely cool to see cards that are doing interesting new things, even if what they do is not quite enough. This card, however, I do think what it does can be enough. Just because, first of all, drawing a power card is is great. And we can kind of say that is almost worth an extra activation obviously it depends but you can spend an activation on one drawing a power card so right there every time you see that effect that's uh, that's solid but then draw an objective and then put one on the bottom of your deck in a warband that has two you know bomb objectives and the room in championship especially for like third round stuff like pure carnage you know even uncounted costs like really stuff that you want to score in the late game that you'll feel really good knowing where it is in your deck, and that you draw before you have to put one on the bottom, that, that can win you a game, resolving that once. It, it's gated behind a successful attack, but that's incredibly powerful. Yeah, the deck manipulation is really attractive on this card. You do need to be mindful about equipping a fighter who's already activated and hit somebody in the round, of course. So make sure you're not giving it to like Rabidius after he's already just swung at somebody who charged into your territory and whacked him or whatever. 
But yeah, I, I like both effects. I think the objective card one is a really interesting design space because we don't have a lot of objective deck manipulation in terms of order sequencing. And the versatility on doing either is really nice so that it's not just a one-track effect. If you don't happen to need the objective manipulation at the time you do the thing, you could just get further into your power deck, which is great. The restriction, while it sits there and you're like, well, these fighters might just all die before this comes out, it kind of makes up for the card itself with the salvage rule because of the restriction. So it's like, okay, well, yes, those guys are fragile and they just died and now I can't play the card, but now I can salvage it to get the effect at least once in a way. So it is kind of bakes in a decent kind of floor for the card. And the ceiling is pretty high. If you happen to draw this in the first round, make a successful attack action in three rounds, like the, getting to do this three times is a pretty high spike. Oh yeah, no, that's enormous. I, I evaluate this card on the assumption I'll, I'll get to use it once for the second effect. And I still think it's very good. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Rotted Flesh cannot give this card to a large fighter minus one damage to a minimum of one from enemy fighters attack actions that target this fighter while this fighter is in a territory corrupted by your warband yeah minus one damage is always a fantastic effect especially when you look at the fragility of this warband you start putting this on three and four wound fighters become very difficult to take down again ping can kind of circumvent this so some of these cards have started to lose some of their value and obviously the situational nature of being in a corrupted territory is very game state dependent in round two. Odds are there's a lot of corrupted territories and this is basically a flat minus one damage. In round one, odds are there's very few corrupted territories and it's hard to access the minus one damage. So I think you do need to be mindful uh, where you're drawing this. Like if you draw this in your opening hand, even if you have like three gambits, I might still consider mulliganing that power card hand just to access this effect when I actually need it. Because with how good the Surge Glory is in this Warband, you want to be start like spiking some of these really good upgrades that they have. And this one's not going to do that for you, right? You're going to score your Surge, you're going to put this down, you're going to be like, doesn't do anything right now, but it yeah. might eventually, with how kind of kind of fast, die fast, die hard, or whatever it says in the... It's, it's hit, hit hard, die fast, I think, is the... <laughs> oh, it's literally the next card on the... <laughs> what we got here with that kind of game plan you're going to want to have some control over when you take this out and use it you said it i can't add anything to that it's, <laughs> it's great later and it's bad early and you have to balance that go right to the next one that you got excited yes. about. so speaking of hit hard die fast i've got screaming lunatic plus one damage to this fighter's range one and two attack actions while this fighter has one or more charge tokens and or one or more wound counters that's great strength I mean, it's yeah. it's conditional, but that's great strength. Yeah. Because there's few situations where I won't say, I put this down and I charge you. That That's yeah. what you do with great strength. You put it down and then you charge and get the one shot that they were feeling safe from before. Or I'll already be wounded. If I had to, I could go through a lethal hex to make it happen. You know, there's, it's obviously not as good as great strength, but it's so close, it might as well be. And from a nemesis perspective, I that is fantastic. It's, it's just great. They want damage, they got damage, and the fact that it's a little bit conditional in Nemesis is something I'm okay with. It's still better than most other warbands, you know, great strength impersonator. Yep, 100% agreed. Hit hard, die fast. <laughs> Next card, Unbelievable Stench. Enemy fighters in the same territory as this fighter cannot be on guard. 
and reaction. Use this after this fighter's activation. Stagger each adjacent enemy fight. So this feels kind of like a meta call card to me. The reaction is fine. It's what Snip does in Claw Pack. But the no guard while in the same territory is a very interesting design space once again. It's not something we've seen too often. I know they tried a cannot be on guard thing in, I think it was Delvers, but that was only adjacent to this fighter, cannot be on guard. Same territory is pretty wide. Yeah. Just jump in Scrater or whatever, and all of a sudden, like, wow, this just nobody can be on guard in this territory, or your fighters can't be on guard in this territory. That's very interesting in a meta where guard is very prevalent. It's not right now, but if you were to hit one, like, Dread Pageant is popular, so you can just screw over Glissette, or Purifiers are popular, and they're spamming out guard tokens all over the place. This could become attractive. I think it's hard to say you're going to fit it in a slot now, but the fact that it does have the option for that kind of tech piece is pretty interesting. And even just having the backup baseline of being able to stagger people is, is like a nice controllable effect, even if you can't pop off on the first thing. Yeah, I, I guess I feel like the first effect is the more interesting one, but the second is what you'll end up using most of the time, yep. especially in Nemesis. There is the cool case that it shuts down, you know, a surge in Fortress, potentially, but that is not reliable enough. And uh, yep. I don't know. I don't even know how... Uh, I guess this is kind of interesting against Ephelin because it can, like, funk with their change sequence. <laughs> I think, like, rules as written, it would mean that Ephelin has to choose the fighter that is eligible to go on guard if they can, and that might be the one that they, you know, would rather inspire or something, but that's also a super... I'm just raising the point because it's interesting. It's a super niche, weird. It's not going to be relevant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think you're probably building this into your deck right now. I'm not, no. Next up, we have Vile Fanaticism. Plus one dice to this fighter's range one or range two attack actions other than scything attack actions. Pretty good. (laughs) Yes. Wow, please give me. These upgrades are, are glorious. It's fair that this doesn't buff scything. I wish that it did because I want Rabidius to just be rabid. But it's very good. I am not going to complain to get a plus one dice at all. To get a plus one dice that will work on the range two in this warband is an effect you can't really get outside of it, except for one card in Paths of Prophecy in Championship right now. So, very, very good card. You will never not take this in your deck, ever. Yep. Yeah, I think a lot of people look at some of the really strong cards like this in the deck and they go, oh, power creep, power creep. But I think it's more kind of in thoughtful design of how the warband's going to play. Like we established earlier, they're very fragile, going to hit hard and die fast. They gave them good surges and good upgrades to capitalize on those good surges. I think it's a really nice, elegant way of designing a warband like this. So even like though in a vacuum, any warband with a plus one dice card is like, oh my God, this is fantastic. The combination of how they've done it here is really nice and of course plus one dice is just a good effect (laughs) that's a really really good point to raise also that i think shifting the design to say we're going to give some of these like amazing power cards as faction cards and then not have that effect you know really exist in the universal sphere it does hurt a lot of the older warbands which makes me sad you know in my in my scritch heart but it's, it's still cool design because it means that they can kind of in the long run more 
hopefully more efficiently tailor some of the balance. Like this doesn't buff scything. So they don't have to worry, you know, in two years they print a deck that has some crazy scything attack that wants dice, but, you know, does stupid damage. And then like Rubidius comes and says, we're, we're going to combine this, you know. And it is, uh, it's not exactly power creep. We've seen plus dice in warbands before. I'm just happy to see it. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. The last card in the upgrades. Voice of the Great Corrupt. This fighter is a priest. If one or more friendly leaders are out of action, this fighter is a leader. Action. The territory this fighter is in is corrupted by your warband. Restricted. Itch it. And I, I gotta say, I messaged you about this earlier. This card has messed with me for a long time because I have looked at it and thought that this was for Rickett because Rickett is in the art on it. And I'm like, I don't want to take this. It's restricted to Rickett. He's two wounds in round one. Now, Itchit is, you know, it's only a little better. But still, it, I'm going to look at it and be like, oh, yeah, this goes on Rickett. No, it goes on Itchit. Yeah, I feel like the art came before the card or something in this instance or independent of the card. And they just kind of like, oh, I'll smash them together and print out. But uh, yeah, for Itchit, we talked earlier about how he might just be your dangle or was is likely even going to be your dangle. Odds you're going to get to use this maybe kind of low, but it is nice in general as a backup plan. Like when you look at the context within the Rivals deck itself, there's leader dependent stuff, there's priest dependent stuff. This can help kind of mitigate if you happen to lose Skabic. And the action is very interesting because again like we talked about with the gambit earlier just saying this this realm is corrupted done like <laughs> you you can't undo it in any way so you're gonna be able to guarantee and inspire if you pull it off you're gonna be able to potentially guarantee or significantly improve your odds of scoring something like bringers of ruination i like it in terms of the gameplay role it has in the context of the deck i do prefer that my upgrades do something gameplay wise just like raw the rules are i roll dice i kill things i move i do whatever additional movement pushes dice damage are typically where i'm looking for my upgrades but i can definitely see some builds like corruption heavy builds where you're slotting this in yeah exactly you've hit the the caveats on this it uh, i do feel like I have to take this before I can take Manifestation of a Great Plague because this is the only way to get another priest. And it, you know, that, that first couple lines to make him a priest, that he's a backup leader, I think it's, it's hard to quantify that because it's easy to say, well, good play means you protect Skabic. And that's true. But there will be games where you lose Skabic and, and this can completely pull you out of the fire because you'll still get to use Unctuous Citations. You'll still get to use Pestilent Blessing. And, move, and move. get that value. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So in, in that sense, it's you know a powerful backup that I want to put in, and that action can definitely be important. I think if I'm taking corrupt cards, I take this before I take manifestation of a great plague, just because this works, no matter yeah. what. If if Itchit's alive, and obviously if I'm banking on that, I can't dongle Itchit, but. You know, the, the potential payoff, and again, I, I said it before, it's niche, but you could, in theory, corrupt all three territories with Itchit in the third round by, like, he's in one, action, then move, move, then action, and then he just makes another move onto a token. And that's, you know, three activations, three territories, done. Yep. 
as a backup plan, I think this is one of the better designed backup plan type of cards that we've seen in the game before. Like we've, we've seen a few of these where, oh, this guy becomes a leader now. Like, uh, there's one for Kirk, and I think it was the leader's pack. I think it makes him a leader. Oh, no, it just gives him the... Um, it gives him a... a yeah, the ability raise. to raise people. He, he yeah, brings yeah, them back right. next to him instead of in a starting house. That's right. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it's called... Is it Kirk the Claw Chief, and then it's Kirk now leads is the flavor text, or is there also a card? Now I have to look this the, up. There's there's also a card that forever. Kirk now leads. I think I think there are two different cards. That might be an objective. Hang yeah, on. I, I, I think so. It's something like that. In either case, I think this is a well designed version of that style of card. Uh, it's yes. just like you said, if you're playing well, maybe you don't need to game plan in a fail safe. You just need to game plan and things that will augment you playing well yeah exactly yeah kirk now leads is the end phase for scritches out of action and kirk is alive and then kirk the claw chief is just he gets an action gets to return fighters other than scritch to yep. the battlefield yeah so this is definitely um, an evolution of an improvement on that kind of design for sure yeah and again i like the, the flavor of it i like the theme and the design is cool we've yeah. you know beaten to death the point that that the, the, the weird cool design might not always be competitive enough, but I'm happy to see, you know, progress evolving the game because it does become a power creep arms race if you never push the design in new directions. And they have really done a great job, I think, with this warband to take some stuff that was already existing and distill it and then give it a new cohesive identity. Mm -hmm. So what's your favorite upgrade? I like Glorious Sacrifice. Again, very disappointed it can't go on Best Boy Scritter, but just the concept of a card which will offset your Glory Bleed, help you with Corruption. Just like, I love those kinds of no-good-choice type of cards that you can slap down on people. Yeah. I'm going to have to go with Pox Ridden Lucidity because it's just such cool design that does have a payoff behind it, and I, I really appreciate that it's a subtle payoff. You know, when you draw an objective and put one back, your opponent isn't necessarily going to be, oh no, you know, they did a thing. But you're there knowing, I did a thing. Like, my game plan is now complete. Yep. Everything <laughs> is proceeding as I have forced. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I mean, we probably don't need to spend too much time on overall thoughts of the warband as constructed. I think we've both kind of, throughout, given our praise to the design of the warband, the cool, interesting space that they've opened up with the cards... Would you maybe want to just talk about how we think they're going to fit in, in in Nemesis and Championship play? What type of cards you think you're going to want to bring with them, etc.? Yeah, let's let's go through that. Why don't we start off just with Nemesis, because that's easier to cover through. Which decks do you want to pair them with? I think there's two like primary options, but they will actually work with a lot of them, if not all of them. I think there's ways you could make a cohesive deck of like, oh, I only bought Scabix and I only have X-Rivals deck. There's probably a way you can make that work, just because especially their surges are so good. But for competitive purposes, I'm looking at Voidcurse Thralls as number one, Beastbound Assaults as a close second, just because there's so much minion support. There's some of that supporting fighter synergies that you need. I think those are probably your two primary picks if you're doing a Nemesis pairing. I have to agree with that. And I'm on a Voidcurse kick with just about all my Nemesis builds anyway. I have, I think, Three or four warbands I've narrowed it down to for Nova, although Scabix up there, obviously. And all of them just like, does this Void Curse? Will yep. it blend? It's and just, it's such a good rival yes, deck. Yes, 
Yeah, such such a cool concept for a deck. And everybody's like surprised when you slap down Void Cursor All. It's like, oh, what's that do? And it's like, <laughs> dude, this is the best new drug in the game, right? How have you not been playing it with everybody you possibly can? And yeah, I think Sadly, my, that would be the one to take. My my local meta is, you know, Void Curse Fatigue because I'm showing up every week. <laughs> well, this is my Void Curse deck. Or this is my deck where I get to play with Lurking Horror. Your chill. Yeah, but uh, other notes, just for this Warband, I did have that success with Headsman using the Forbidden deck, Deadly Depths. And I think this is another Warband that can use Deadly Depths just because the real drawback of Deadly Depths, the big one, is the Gambits and the Surges. It only has three Surges, and two of them are terrible. And the Gambits are largely niche and terrible. But it has some amazing upgrades and, you know, a few passable end phases. And putting even more accuracy in this deck, putting in the boarding axe just for itch it, having the anchor for no Yeah, push, the anchor's really nice. Is, you know, it's all very, very good. And I, I will say that I think the correct counterplay to this warband is often going to be standing on the tokens first. So Deadly Depths giving you murder, no, Knives in the Dark for plus one damage when you target someone on a feature token is just going to be good because of that weird, well, I know that you know, so I know. Which may not work out, right? Because you'll play against someone who doesn't stand on tokens, then you're like, this card is useless. But I think you should be happy that they're not standing on tokens if you're playing Skabic, and then win that way. I also see a bit of potential with Fearsome Fortress, just because the end phases are solid enough. They don't need any of the Fortress Surges, although you could take maybe one or two, but I really am very happy with the new design direction we're seeing with these weird hollow warbands where they have six surges in their faction deck. And then by and large, they've been printing, you know, even the bad surges are, are okay, at least from a nemesis perspective. So you're not sitting there with like some completely abysmal surge that you could spend the whole round trying to achieve. And then you have no end phases to score. It really opens up the number of rivals decks they can play with when they have good surges. And then it's just going to make them very solid in Nemesis that they have staples like plus one dice, plus one damage, and minus one enemy damage in their upgrades. Like just those three are enough to say, yeah, they're, they're good. They have flexibility because they don't need to, you know, take a hard look at Toxic for Callus or at Lucery Might for Weapons Master. And they mm -hmm. can't really use Tooth and Claw because so much of their fighters are ranged too. But, but that's okay. And then uh, on to Championship, they can do a lot i think they have at least you know two very solid different styles i could definitely see a fully aggressive build with them where you're just trying to murder you're just trying to kill stuff and, and corrupting territories while you're murdering stuff instead of standing on tokens although you could do it by standing on tokens really does synergize more than you would think and you can play that way i think they could play a more defensive flex hold type of approach you know, despite their poor defense dice. But uh, ultimately, I, I think they can have the same overall strategy that I, I recently brought out with Grashrak, as uh, you've pointed out, where they, they want to kill you and they want to hold stuff on the way to killing you. And unlike Grashrak, they don't suffer as much from losing their fighters for their end phases because corrupting a territory is a little more forgiving than like holding two tokens or holding three as a surge. When you're there, like, well, I have two guys left. I'm not holding three anymore. Yeah, I think what that's definitely think? like the right niche to be taking them in championship is the pure carnage aspect of 
holding sub theme type of thing like you were doing with grab i am interested it's an interesting warband design i think this is really good warband design in the sense that they are going to be very solid in nemesis the fragility may be a bit of a problem but the deck is good enough to keep them competitive and then you go to championship and it's basically exactly the same like they will have a problem with fragility but the deck is good enough that it gives them certain niches in the format and they it juice up in championship as well. It's not like, well, I do well in Nemesis because I have a good faction deck, but then when I get to championship, I don't do as well with the universal cards. It's like because they can now start breaking out of just a single rival's deck, you can bring in stuff from Beastbound Assault without needing to only bring stuff in from Beastbound Assault or bring stuff in from Passive Prophecy without only need to bring... Like, the combination of doing both well and about, I think, on the same power level, or at least pretty close, maybe if Ping were toned down a little bit in Championship through afar, I think that's just really good warband design. Not, again, to gush too much about how well they've done with this warband, but I think that's exactly what you want to see. You hit the nail on the head that they are, uh, I think, very solid, and they have a got a, a decent ceiling to reward skill, and it is consistent between the two formats. I think a lot of times we do see some warbands that are just only good in one. Usually it's it's warbands that can get worked on in championship and struggle in Nemesis. Although sometimes you have the opposite. I, I kind of feel like Headsman is a little stronger in Nemesis than they are in championship. I may be wrong there. I may be No, I agree. I agree. And and then you have, you know, some stuff where the warband takes a relative step down and, and is still great. Like I think the difference between Ephilim and everybody in champ is much smaller than in nemesis but it's still you know relatively they get worse even though they obviously in an absolute sense get better yes yeah i agree but yeah i'm happy about this warband and there's so much to to dive in with them and i i really think we're gonna find some some new tricks as we get some testing done and i'm very excited for what the future may hold with other decks i haven't even looked at well I haven't thought too hard about what Paths of Prophecy can do with them because I will not have Paths of Prophecy for quite some time. Yes, yeah, unfortunately delayed in North America. Eventually we'll get there, but uh, they'll take a little bit, so. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for the episode. Any any other closing thoughts, Mark? No, just glad to see they continue to push out bangers with the Skaven Warbands. Keep giving me more. I will keep buying them. Take my money. <laughs> yes, they are the greatest. All right. Well, that's going to be it for the episode. If you are a Patreon supporter, we sincerely thank you for your support. And if you'd like to join our current Patreons, you can do so at patreon.com slash pathtoglory. If you're ever interested in what we're using that Patreon money for, it's for the software. We use Squadcast, which is where we record and host our podcast. It's a meeting place for us. And we use Descript, which is an amazing tool that makes us sound a lot better, removes a lot of background noise, and does a lot of the heavy lifting for us. You can find all our blog content at pathtoglorypodcast.com. If you ever have any feedback, questions, comments, or concerns, please write to us and let us know on Facebook, Twitter, or Discord at Path to Glory Podcast. Please rate and subscribe to the podcast on, well, anywhere you listen to it. Podcast for choice. And of course, thanks for listening. We wish you the best of luck on your Path to Glory. <laughs>